Welcome to Emil Franzing's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. And a very pleasant good Saturday afternoon to you. This is Harry Alexander along with uh, Bunker de France. This is uh, Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. And uh, we are here today, uh, Saturday, the first Saturday of August. It's uh, August 3rd, by golly. It's the third. I know, isn't that something? Um, I've got uh, on the line here, I hope... I hope too. I hope too. Um, let's see. I, I have to do it this way because I can't get into my call system here. It won't tell me. Um, but uh, I do have Lance Lance Dorrell on the line. He's an author, and it's a pretty cool-looking book. It's called uh, uh, A Dance with the Devil, and it's about an Irish, Irish soldier, soldier of fortune. fortune. Welcome, Lance. Are you with us, Lance? I am. Thank you for having me. I heard something. I, I, can, I, can, I can hear him, but then I can't hear him, and I'm not sure. Are you there, Lance? I am. I'm right here. There we go. Now I can oh, hear. It was one of those nasty, nasty plugins in the back there that didn't do the trick. Working. Once again, hi, Lance. How you doing? Hey, Harry, I'm doing fine. Thank you. Good. Thanks for being with us this afternoon. And staying with us. <laughs> yeah. It's um, the, the, This show, you never know when there's going to be a technical issue, which is, well, yes, you do. It's always. Well, you know, between the two of us, we have technical issues up in the gray matter. Yeah, well, there yeah. is that. Um, this is, uh, once again, Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, Saturday, August the 3rd. Our guest is Lance J. Dorrell, author of A Dance with the Devil, a Dance yes. Dance with Death, excuse me, story of a... Uh, Where'd you get this devil story? I don't know. It's a, it's a song. Dance because you've been devil. deviling with this there, machine there here. Anyway, the book is about an Irish soldier of fortune character, and uh, before we we get into that uh just want to let you know that uh, we're happy to have you guys uh, here with us listening uh either live or via podcast and um, we also uh, hey i i have a thingy up on our website that uh, uh it's a paypal donation thing and uh That's a great idea it you know it's to help keep this herd moving yeah. And uh, we do have advertisers, and they do, do help defray the costs, but sometimes, you know, they don't. Inflation. <laughs> so we ask our listeners to help chip in. Yeah. And uh, with that, uh, do, we we ta- do we take postage stamps? We'll take, uh, we'll take even take green stamps. Remember the green stamps? Oh, well, S&H we'll green stamps, yeah. yeah. I, that was uh, my job as a kid to lick the, and stick them in the book. What, I hated what, those things. Why, why does that not surprise me? Um, well, every right. kid had that job. <laughs> Let's. Get it, uh, uh, let's, oh. let's do our, our homework. Our homework. You know, you know, like how to, if they want to email us and yes. that kind of stuff, so they have a question for Lance. Voices of the West at gmail.com. Voices of the West at gmail.com. If you got a, a question for Lance or um, a comment, you can, or a comment and, Either that or you can uh, pop it up on our uh, Voices of the West Facebook page, which I am monitoring, and I'll pass the question on over that way. So without further ado, let's get into this. Lance, is this your first novel? It is. Well, what caused you to write it? Fame and fortune? <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, that never hurts a guy, does it? Never does, no. No, uh, <laughs> The, the, the story was too good to pass up 
the I've been on the trail for a long time. Always been fascinated by the little bighorn, the the whole story of no survivors. And then when I dug into it, uh, Captain Keogh's story just jumped out. My family yeah. came from Ireland. Um, this guy, you know, he, he's he's not the norm. And what I mean simply is, he didn't have to be a soldier to make a living. His family was um, well off. He left Ireland to go to Italy to fight in the Papal Wars. He, you know, he survives that, and then he comes to America with two of his comrades, and he's all over the Civil War. I mean, he's at Brandy Station, he's at Gettysburg, um, Antietam, survives himself being a prisoner of war as he tries to liberate Andersonville. So when I dug deeper into this guy's uh, fascinating story before even. You know, he's even 30 years old. I just thought, my gosh, what a story. And then to find out he's at the Little Bighorn, well, here we are. Yeah. You know, it's it's so interesting. When I started reading it, cause I, I did a ton of research on this because I love doing the research. And uh, I've got to say that what I was doing just impressed me even more with your research, the depth of it and everything. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's... I, it's like his, just his experience in the Civil War. It seemed like he was at every major, just about every major battle. I mean, just his Civil War experience, you'd think, just for being there, you'd get a Medal of Honor. Well, we do know that there were a lots of uh, immigrants who came over to the United to the young United States to uh, battle in the Civil War. Uh, lots of Irishmen, for sure. Uh, I know that there were Irish brigades set up. Um, I also know that there were some Mexicans involved. Um, they generally fought for the South. Uh, this guy Lance, he 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 was a he fought for the North. Is that correct? Yankee. That, that's correct. So the, the backstory is, uh, as I stated, he left home. He's, he's college educated. He's working in a bank. He's restless. When the Pope called for uh, soldiers to defend the Catholic Church, Italy's not even a country in 1860. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Catholic Church wants to keep its sovereignty. So he and several thousands of young men all across Europe left and went to Vienna, Austria, made their own ways to Italy, and he was part of an Irish brigade there, survived that, which is in itself a miracle. Mm-hmm. The Union Army was over in Rome at that time, recruiting these guys to come to America with an officer's commission and dangling in front of them to <laughs> fight for the Union Army. And so he and his two comrades, Dan Kiley and a Joseph O'Keefe, you know, throw caution to the wind again and set sail for America. And uh, like I said, Keo finds himself at Antietam, Brandy Station, Gettysburg. Uh, just, you know, it, go back to Gettysburg. Let's, let's talk about that. He's with John yeah. Buford. And if wow. Buford's horse troopers are the Illinois Cavalry, the New York Cavalry units, if those guys don't get to Gettysburg before... Uh, a, a guy by the name of Robert E. Lee gets there, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, Gettysburg's a whole different story. <laughs> because yep. those guys had the new breech-loading breech rifles, okay? Mm-hmm. And Buford and Keogh spread those guys out so far and so thin, and they kept Lee at bay until the, the U.S. infantry units could get there and get in position 
on day one, or it's a different story, guys. Hmm. Well, you know, it's one of the things that uh, I, I read a description of him. Uh, bold soldier, hopeless romantic, melancholic dreamer. And you captured that in the book so well, you know, that, that uh, you know, that desire to one more, one more charge. Uh, and then, you know, with with his romance with the young lady back in the East and the hopelessness of it, yet the hope of it. And then his, you know, you can, you can, you can almost feel his moments of melancholy when he gets to thinking about her and the situation that he's gotten himself into. Well, thank you for that. You know, he he is a romantic, but don't make a mistake about it. This is a guy who, he's a soldier, soldier. Yes. You know, he never shirked a duty. And, of course, uh, those guys who who had experienced the Civil War, they had seen so much, and, and, and good and bad. Obviously, the the the, the, the horrors of war, of course. Um, but when they go out west, okay, it's a harsh reality. And when you're in Kansas, in the plains, the forts they were at, uh, just just atrocious. Okay, the food that they tried to feed these men, <laughs> trying to live <laughs> off the land. Yeah. What was that? I seem to have lost somebody. I think I've lost our. I guess we've lost. I've lost my. I've lost my guest. Well, how do we get him back? Well, I'm going to have to do some uh, fancy, fancy doodling here. Uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a commercial break, and then come back with hopefully. Can he hear us? I don't know if he can hear us or not. My my session seems to have uh, ended there. So we're going to do this, and we'll be back with much more of Emil Francie's Voices of the West. I hope right after this. Abel Franzi's Voices of the West will be right back. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club is one of the best-kept economic secrets in town. This 900-member group maintains one of the finest shotgun shooting ranges in the country, featuring trap, skeet, five-stand, and sporting clays fields, and hosts national and international events that bring thousands of people and millions of dollars into our community. The Spring Satellite Grand American Tournament alone involves 1,200 participants for 10 days. Learn more about this and their other contributions to our community at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year, we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond check and stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 
1911 Read classic Western comics anytime at voicesofthewest.net. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Tom, the host of the Movie Zealots podcast, and I'm inviting you to give the Movie Zealots podcast a listen. Every episode, my co-hosts and I review the latest box office releases, but there's more than simply just that. We also play games like the Alexa quote of the show and may the odds be ever in your favor and have a from the cutting room floor segment that is an open forum to discuss anything from our thoughts of a Netflix TV series to our experiences with movie subscriptions such as the AMC Stubs or MoviePass. So, after finishing this podcast, please give the Movie Zealots podcast a listen. We can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. Simply search Movie Zealots. Until then, that's a wrap. Riding down to Santa Fe, just beyond the mountains and across the way. See that sun hang low in the west, or the land I'm loving the best. Here Welcome we back go. to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Lance, are you with us? I'm here. Okay. Apologize. Apologies big time for what all is going on here. Uh, I got a question. Uh, were you able to listen to my rambles while while we were fixing things? No, I was not. Okay, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're just going to go ahead and this is this is cool. We're just going to start this thing all over. all over again. Okay. Welcome to Abel Franzi's Voices of the West. <laughs> it's a Saturday, August the 3rd. It's, uh, uh, our guest is Lance J. Durrell. He's the author of Dance with Death. It's the trials and tribulations of a Irish uh, soldier of fortune at the Little Bighorn. Now, we've talked about uh, how he was... Um, he 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 was involved in uh, the Civil War. He fought in the Papal Wars. Was he always a... Uh, was he always a soldier? That's correct. Before he left Ireland for the Papal War, he had graduated from college as far as he could go at that time, mm-hmm. and he had secured some uh, employment in a banking industry. It's kind of vague, but that's about all we know. Mm-hmm. And when the Pope was calling for able-bodied young men to come and defend the church, he... Uh, he jumped at that chance, and he took off, man, and threw a caution to the wind, really had no way of knowing to get there. Hmm. Uh, be, being under English rule, he wasn't even supposed to go. Right. Okay, yeah. so so kind of a hush-hush deal. Before, before he even leaves Ireland, he's at Waterford, and he runs into two guys by the name of Joseph O'Keefe, who was about his age, who had been a young policeman, and a grizzled veteran of the English Navy by the name of Dan Kiley. Hmm. And the three made their way, secured passage, and went to Vienna. And from there, they went to the Papal War. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> wow. That That is, <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> right? damn. <laughs> what else can you say? I mean, geez. I know, right? 
Oh, man, I can't wow. Uh, you know, he was a professional soldier, and I know that there were lots of professional soldiers and soldiers of fortune. I had a friend in the Army who, whose dad was a, a professional soldier of fortune, and he fought uh, in South Africa and, well, wherever else they would pay him to fight, I guess. <laughs> I guess that's how that All worked. Right. Uh, you know, in terms of getting out of England, he wasn't even supposed to leave England, uh, and the Irish and the English even then were not on the best of terms so i mean that, that that's pretty in, intense um so h- how does he get to the bighorn uh, or uh, to the u.s cavalry he's a when he leaves service in the civil war he's a captain is that correct right so as the union army at that time were, were mustering thousands and thousands of men back to everyday life and of mm-hmm. course a lot of those guys, especially the officers, were trying to find any way they could stay in the service to get a commission. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he had been in spent time in Tennessee, and that is where he uh, had met some individuals. Heard the name of, of course, he, he'd known George Custer. The backstory is he and George Custer had crossed paths several times in mm-hmm. the Virginia theater. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this, so they, so at that time, the army is going to start forming. Uh, cavalry units because they understand that they're going to have to um, run into a few characters out on the southern plains, right, uh, by the Native Americans. And so they need to get these cavalry units. So 7th Cavalry came along and he accepted a commission as captain of Company I. Mm-hmm. And from there, he goes to Kansas and learns the, uh, the trials and tribulations of chasing Native Americans across the plains. Hmm. Wow. He must have already been a pretty good horseman. Uh, Or did he have to learn cavalry tactics, or did he just employ his own tactics? You know, he had ridden his whole life back in Ireland. He he was an avid rider. Uh, Civil War, he rode and rode and rode. Matter of fact, at the Civil War, towards the end of it, when he's marching to the sea with Sherman, when he uh, goes with that group that uh, as they're going, they're going to branch off and mm-hmm. try to, you know, free the notorious uh, Union prisoner of war camp in mm-hmm. Andersonville. Mm-hmm. He had his beloved horse Tom shot out from underneath him, and there's a uh, a very poignant letter that he sent home to his family. He, he was very close to. Uh, he came from a big family. He's the baby, and he's very close to a brother and a few sisters that still kind of hung around the home. There's a very poignant and sad letter, and he. Uh, he actually sent it to him. They don't even know he's a POW. Hmm. Okay, and, and, and matter of fact, when he's a POW, he co- he contracts malaria. Okay, and then and on top of that, when they had, he's uh, excuse me, he's um, being held in Charleston. The Union forces are shelling the very uh, place that they're keeping all the Union officers, and he mm-hmm. feels either he's going to die of malaria or he's going to die of um, friendly fire. Yeah, right. And so there's a very poignant letter that he sent to his family telling him how lucky he was to get released. But you can just read the sorrow because of him losing his horse. So he, mm-hmm. he's always been a horseman. Mm-hmm. So uh, just started, there he... Well, go ahead. Go, uh, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, uh, I was not familiar with the Battle of Sunshine Church, which is that's where he was captured. Is that correct? That's right. That's right. These guys got so far down in the south, and they were causing so much havoc 
and the Confederates have had enough of it. And, of course, they know by this time the war is lost, but they're going to do everything they can. They're not going to let these Yankees come in there and uh, embarrass them. And then, you know, there's a point of such pride. I, I can't imagine fighting in that war and having these guys on your home turf, right? Right. So they were in the hornet's nest, and they were trying to do some diversionary tactics to even let some of the uh, other guys get away. And he stayed with his commanding officer. And these guys got surrounded, and that's where the horse was killed. Tom was killed. Well, you know, and these guys were taken prisoners. And, you know, speaking of the horses, I think, you know, in, in your book, there are the three horses that really play very prominently, Mary Jo, Patty, and Comanche. And, uh, you know, it's like, the, you know, you very aptly expressed how he feels about the horses, especially Mary Jo, and then later uh, Comanche. And... In fact, I, I, while I was looking stuff up, I saw this uh, 1877 photo of Comanche, and God, what a beautiful horse, huge, huge animal. Uh, you know, I mean, he makes, this, he makes the uh, private standing there holding him look frail, <laughs> yeah. but I, I'll tell you, you talk about, a, you, you can believe this is a warhouse, mm-hmm. war horse looking mm-hmm. at that picture. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Right, so... You know, a lot of these guys that are in the service at this time, after the war, they've been, a lot of them have been mustered out. The officers that made up the Army at that time had much experience. The enlisted men, not so much, okay? Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of those guys may have been running from the law, bail of marriage, et cetera, et cetera. So these guys, when, when they're going to get these horses, okay, even though they belong, quote-unquote, to the Army, the officers had a lot of their own horses, right. okay? They would pay to have an own horse. But to the enlisted men and to the officers to an extent, these horses are all they had. You're talking about a very lonely, lonely existence, dangerous. Um, and there's all kinds of stories. Not only did these guys have a lot of horses, but they, they kept packs of dogs, just like Custer. Hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, tough life, tough guys um, needed something to hang on to. So, but... Um, yeah, so these horses are everything to him. You know, uh, one of the things, too, you know, because you're mentioning the horses, and I have to jump way back almost to the, you know, the last part of the book when you're describing the battle. And I spent 30 years as a professional stuntman, and your book, first of all, when I first started reading it, and Harry can verify, I told him, I says, you know, this would make a great Earl Flynn epic. Yeah. And... When you get to the battle, I mean, somebody filming this, you've done all the work for them. It's there, you know, the, the movement and stuff. But the, what one of the things that stands out is that, you know, this is total pandemonium. It's, it's living hell. And there's these guys, four horses to a guy, holding the horses, trying to keep them, because if they have to get out of there, that's their only way out. And then eventually it's down to eight horses to a guy. And, I mean, you so vividly uh, gave us that picture that it's it's like, again, like I say, it's like it's a living script. Well, thank you for the kind words. Uh, that's very nice of you guys to, to say. And I'm honored. <laughs> I've spent a lot of time at the battlefield for 10 years straight. Uh, I go there every summer to... I study it, to walk it, uh, that's what I do. Uh, uh, starting in 2013, I got lucky enough to met some individuals in a group called 
CBHMA, and that's Customer Battlefield Historical Museum Association. They're the oldest non-for-profit that has anything to do with the battlefield, and that was started by the first superintendent, Luce, in the 40s, when it became a uh, national monument. Mm -hmm. Luce had served in the, Luce had actually served in the 7th Cavalry, okay, during World War One, and several of the officers who survived this battle, those were the, not the companies with Custer, those guys were still on the service, and so Luce learned that their, basically their side, the, the story of the Little Bighorn, and he was fascinated and fascinated by it. So, uh, when you go about talking about these guys and the pandemonium, you, you gotta do a lot of the research, but it was, it, it was a uh, living hell that went on there that day, and they ran into the most formidable group of individuals that they could have ever had the unfortunate pleasure of meeting, and that is Native Plains Americans warriors, okay? And, and these guys have been trained since childbirth to be just that, a warrior. Yeah, it's an honor. You know, I want, I want to throw a curve at you right here for just a second. I understand okay. your, your grandmother played a very important part in your life her taking you to the Maryville Public Library there in Missouri and I thought that was kind of neat when I was looking stuff up about you that uh, you know you could see it's got to be a family thing this interest in in knowledge and to pursue it well, yeah it is it is so so I did grow up in Maryville Missouri which is in northwest Missouri college town of about 12,000 people wonderful wonderful place it's it's still my home so to speak my parents are still there they were high school sweethearts both my grandparents families came from there so yes i had the best of both worlds i, I my grandfather uh he was a uh, rough and tough over the road trucker farmer but who took us exposed us to college by taking us to college football games <laughs> he wanted my brothers he wanted my brothers and i some way some shape or form to go to college. He didn't care where, he just made it very clear. Where my grandmother, his wife, her best thing, she had actually gone to school too, which was unusual for a woman in the 40s. Yeah. I mean, I know that I know that sounds kind of strange to people now, but it's no, true. No, it's true. It was. Yeah, very true. So Boy, that was your she, wanted, she wanted my brothers and I to go to school, and the best way she thought she could help us was by taking us to a library. And that is where I first discovered the Little Bighorn, was at that library library you're talking about. Mm -hmm. How cool. How cool. We're talking with Lance J. Durrell. He is an author of uh, uh, Hard... I can't read it upside down anymore. A Dance with Death. It's the story of an Irish soldier of fortune at the Little Bighorn. Lance, we got to take a break here, and I'm going to put the phone down there. You'll still be able to hear what's going on. But uh, we're going to be back right after these very important messages right here on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Don't go away. A miserable army, oh Kyle, sat alone and yapped at the moon. Abel Franzi's Voices of the West will be right back. When looking for a property management company, here are some things you should consider. How long has the company been in business? What types of properties can they manage for you? And does the company give back to the community? Well, your search is over. 
the Polash Management Company meets and exceeds those considerations. They've been in business in Tucson, Arizona since the 1960s. They manage all types of properties throughout Arizona and elsewhere, from residential to commercial to public sector properties. The Polash Management Company also dedicates its time and resources to numerous community projects, including help funding the drive for the USS Arizona Memorial at the University of Arizona. You also want a property management company that puts you, the customer, first. Contact the Paul Ash Management Company today at paulashmanagement.com and ask about the complete package or call 520-795-2100. That's 520-795-2100. The Paul Ash Management Company, property managers you can trust. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year, we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. Hello, I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats. But did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right, it's called Horse It Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horse It Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses, so they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in Southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org. As we recognize the service of America's men and women in uniform, let's also honor the families who sacrifice so much every day. Military families endure frequent deployments and separations. They carry on while their loved ones are sent into harm's way and wait patiently for their safe return. If you really want to honor a veteran, look for ways to support their families and thank them for their sacrifices. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. Evening, Saldo. How are the bunions? Plum aggravating. Give me a beer. It all comes from wearing boots, is my theory. If the human race hadn't started wearing leather on their feet, corns and bunions and such feet ailments wouldn't be, that's all. Welcome back to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. And we are back on Amal Franzi's Voices of the West, uh, Saturday, uh, October, August the 3rd. <laughs> Boy, I, where am I going? You know, I just, I just want to <clears throat> parlay what, you know, the little dialogue bit there about feet and stuff. It, well, that I was, think it applies to technology as it, well. It does. Sourdough Jenkins there from the movie Powder Smoke yeah. Range. And uh, that's a good, doggone good movie, too. Yeah, that's the one you watched, what, Friday night? Uh, yeah, that was, uh, I think that was, uh, uh, Harry Carey was in that one, too. Uh, uh, Harry Carey. 
I think I'm, or yeah, but, well, anyway, it doesn't yeah, matter. Hey, Lance. All right, Lance Durrell is our guest, and uh, we're talking about his book here, A Dance with Death. It's the stories of uh, an Irish soldier of fortune at the Little Bighorn. This is his debut Western novel. You know, Lance, I, I'm kind of the wild card of this show, and I want to throw a crow name out at you, and I'm probably going to mangle it because, well, it's crow. Because <laughs> he does that. <laughs> Hey, Sapa, Wicon, Kaji, Okala, Kichi, yeah. Did that make any sense? No, it, it did not. <laughs> <laughs> it did not. Okay. Triton, uh, Triton, you're, you're, you're Cherokee, right? No, no, that's, I'm Cherokee and Poetan. Okay. That has nothing to do okay. with Crow. But, I, you know, as long as I'm talking about Crow, uh, it's something that the historians sometimes never get into. But in uh, 1873, the Crow lodged a complaint with the federal government about the Lakota moving into their territory. Hmm. And that was, I think, part of the problem was that that was that they or an excuse to go in and, and try to militize the uh, hmm. Lakota back to a reservation. Hmm. What do you think about that, uh, Lance? You know, you're on to something. You're on to something there. There's such a backstory to this story. So, you know, of course, in 1874, the 7th Cavalry went into the Black Hills, which had been signed over to the Sioux in the treaties before that, okay, in the 1860s. The there had been rumors of gold. Custer took the whole 7th Cavalry, excuse me, most of the 7th in there. They had no encounters with any hostiles. Uh, a little bit of gold was discovered, and the, quickly the, the U.S. was in the depths of a terrible economic depression, okay? <clears throat> but when, you, when you're talking about the Plains Indian tribes in that area, so much, there was so much upheaval mm-hmm. because those guys were battling for resources, the buffalo, the, the antelope. Okay, they were raiding each other for horses and all these things, and it was just such a, a powder keg. It's, and they were being compressed, they, too. Right, right. And so uh, the, the Crow, the Arikara, these are lifelong enemies to the Sioux. But I don't know if you know if you know this or not, but the Crow are actually Sioux speakers. Okay? Mm-hmm. So you, you've got all these different tribes allying with the U.S. for virtual survival. And the thing about the Crow is, of course, you've got the, the Sioux that are encroaching on their land. They've been battling the Cheyennes since the, let's say, 1850s, okay? Mm-hmm. Nobody ever talks about that, but their battles with the Northern Cheyenne mm-hmm. are legendary. I mean, legendary, okay? And then on the to the west of them, there's the group that nobody ever talks about, the Blackfeet, which are a, right. a huge, huge tribe. And so it's a wonder the Crows aren't even wiped off the face of the earth. Yeah, it was it was basically almost a genocidal war in a way. One of the things that our uh, program founder, Emil Franzi, he was a student of Western history, and he was quite up on the wars between the Native American tribes, and uh, he, he would agree with you 100%. 
if he were here with us. He loved to compare the American Indian Wars with the Cossack Wars. With the Cossacks or the... Uh, um, Lombards. Lombards or the uh, uh, Zulus. Yeah, the Zulus. And Africa, so... Okay. Wow, wow. You know, I'm so fascinated by my... Uh, just like my, what you guys are just talking about. But there's a, there's a couple of tremendous books, I'll tell you real quick. One is by... It's called Counting Horses and... and excuse me. Counting Coop and Cutting Horses. Ooh. I don't know if you guys have read, ever read that. Mm-mm. I'm not familiar with it. Huh. You, you, you need to read that one. Yeah. Counting Who, Coop and Cutting Horses. Who's the author? By Anthony R. McGinnis. Okay. Okay? Yeah. It is just an incredible, incredible book about uh, Plains Indian intertribal warfare. Yeah. There's nothing like it. Just absolutely nothing like it. And, and he had done such a great job. But, you know, the, the, the Northern Cheyenne and the Crow had a had had called a ceasefire on each other because for years they had been raiding each other in such uh, ferocious battles that they were capturing so many captives from one another that they were killing their own relatives back and forth. Yeah. yeah. So uh, brutal, brutal warfare. Very well. Here's a here's a little uh, bit of trivia. I think you I think you probably know it, but I think it's really cool. Is that the Seventh uh, Cavalry Regimental uh, Troop Guide on for I for I Company was recovered at the camp of American Horse the Elder, and I think that you know it, it shows you one part of the Indian culture of not just taking two but memento. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, that was at the Slim Buttes. Now, do you, you, you guys know whose gauntlets were wrapped up in that? Um, oh, yeah. Several of, those, several of those guys from the I Company, 7th Cavalry, that their belongings were with that, that camp when they mm-hmm. found them. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. you know, it was, a, it was, it was a, also a form of uh, honor with them to honor their enemies to, to have to take something of them, a memento, I guess you could call it, for uh, us Euro, Euro types. Well, you know, right. when uh, uh, the archaeological finds occurred at the um, site of the Little Bighorn uh, of that battle, uh, lots of that stuff unearthed, and it was sent to Tucson, as a matter of fact, um, mm-hmm. for storage purposes as well as to uh, do whatever treatments were necessary. I don't know if those artifacts are still here. Uh, nobody seems to know where they are, <laughs> which is a good thing Probably because a somebody collection well because they would be end up a private collection. Um, but uh, that that's I mean I'm I'm familiar with putting together. Artifacts uh, from uh, the 1800s, and it's not an easy task to do. Um, you really got to know what you're doing, and I can't think of any places in town that really know what the hell they'd be doing with that, unless it was the University of Arizona. Well, you know, they do. They have. It's over just off of uh, Drachman. There's a, a little campus over there, mm-hmm. and that's what they do. They specialize mm-hmm. in archaeological history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, well, this is the actual treatment of yeah. of these artifacts so that they don't preservation, degrade. Yeah. yeah, preservation so they don't degrade a- anymore. Well, you know, there's uh, there was a, another neat thing again in doing the research. I came across the uh, the map for the uh, Custer Battlefield Survey that was done in 1891, and reading the book and then looking at that map, all of a sudden it was like. 
it, you know, it's like you, 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 you read something and then you see a picture mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you understand what mm-hmm. you read. Mm-hmm. Well, that, it's like I realized, you know, that, uh, that Keogh was some distance away from Custer and yet that the terrain which was so horrendous, you know, just up and down ravines, uh, which is perfect for Indian-style warfare and not too cool for uh, cavalry warfare, especially once you're on the ground. Well, there isn't much that is good for cavalry warfare, <laughs> especially when they continue oh, to use Napoleonic methods. This is a neat, neat uh, tidbit here. Uh, the 7th Cavalry did not carry sabers on Custer's orders. Which you think, you know, it's that, and you see all of the photo uh, paintings of Custer and mm-hmm. the little bigghorn with, with saber. waving the saber, yeah. you know. Yeah. But uh, what, do you have any well, idea well, why he had that? Before we get into that, we got to do our last That's break, the, and then we'll get back into that. The saber question. The saber question. Death, a dance with death. It's the uh, story of an Irish soldier of fortune at the little bighorn. The author is Lance J. Durrell. This is his debut Western novel. You should pick it up. It's available at all mm. the favorite book places you should get it you should get it because it's a good book and it's a good cool thing about american history lance we will yeah we will be back with much more of amal franzi's voices of the west right after these important messages a mule and a fool they ain't no comparison A mule's got a heap of brains A fool not a wit The Lord built them on the run And must have had a heap of fun A mule ain't a he or she He's nothing but a it oh. Abel Franzi's Voices of the West will be right back Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond check and stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. Hi, this is Joe Montaigne. Every time my Uncle Willie tells me about his service in Patton's Third Army in World War II, I'm reminded of what we owe the U.S. Army. Fourteen generations of American soldiers who have courageously defended our nation. Their stories represent the best of America and should never be forgotten. Join me to help build the National Museum of the United States Army, a long overdue tribute to all American soldiers. To learn more, visit armyhistory.org. Besides bringing millions a year into this community with national and international events, the Tucson Trap and Skeet Club at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway services the local shooting sports community with a 380-acre site featuring trap, skeet, pipe stand, and two sporting clays fields, as well as a 9,000-square-foot clubhouse, which all is available to local shooters, and soon an archery range. Check it out at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com or take a drive out west of town and see it for yourself. New members or single-day use, welcome. Old Western Radio Theater every Saturday at 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time only on the Voices of the West. VOW Radio. Are you still 
Franzi's Voices of the West. We are back on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. That was the intro to The Lone Ranger from 1938. It's also the name of your truck. The Silverado. I.O. Silverado. I.O. Silverado. We're talking with uh, Lance J. Durrell. A Dance with Death is the name of the book. It's uh, uh, about an Irish soldier of fortune at the Little Bighorn. This is his debut novel, and we insist you pick up this book. Now, back to the Sabre question. Okay, you know, I have, oh, yeah, the, uh, I, as I understand, Custer had a standing order against carrying Sabres uh, by the 7th Cavalry. And I'm just curious if you know why he had that, other than I know the Sabres would make noise and and sometimes get in the way, but they sure would have been handy in hand-to-hand combat. You know, I, I don't have an exact answer for you on that. You hit it on the head on the, the noise. Probably just thought maybe they were a little bit too cumbersome. Um, you know, the whole thing on those, when they're in the field on those horses, of course, is it's hard to catch Native Americans, and so they needed every edge they could, okay? And, you know, any any noise that could give away to alert a village when they got close, it would have been a kiss of death. Um, and, of course, also the other thing, too, is they were so conscious of how much extra weight those horses were carrying. Mm-hmm. And they'd been in the field for over a month. So anything they could do to give them an edge, they, they tried to do it. That makes sense. Yeah, it certainly does. Yeah. Uh, I want to throw a couple of names out here at you because uh, in your research, one of the things that impressed me was the credit that you gave to people that were of assistance and helped you in, in doing all of this work. Uh, Donovan Taylor and uh, Putt Thomas. Sure. So, like I, uh, when I was first coming out to Montana, I was what you would call a greenfoot, you know, just li- literally just something right out of an old western, right? When they used to say you're a greenfoot. Um, <laughs> um, so, Hunt Thompson is right out of Central Casting for uh, some kind of a John Ford western. Okay, yeah. think of, think of a horse trader running a saloon and a place to eat. Uh, <laughs> the place your stagecoach would pull up. He he's still there, and he runs Custer Battlefield Training Post. It's right across from the battlefield, okay? And he has, he knows more about Native history. He has more connections than, well, I just thought anybody would probably walk in the face of the earth. He's a gigantic, gigantic collector of Western art, memorabilia, Native American stuff. So he helps me meet so, so many people, okay? Mm-hmm. And just instrumental, I'll never be able to repay him. And that's where I did uh, book signings this past summer. Yeah. Right, so that's a battlefield. Great place to eat, by the way. <laughs> Second of all, <laughs> and, a, and a, trem- a tremendous bookstore in there, second to none. Yeah, I saw uh, some pictures. Donovan, cool. So Donovan Taylor is a northern Cheyenne. He grew up on the reservation. He's still there doing well. He works for the tribe. Uh, he and I have been friends for a number of years now. I stay with him. Uh, he takes me out and we run around the reservation. Uh, he's taught me how to try to hunt like a Native American to see things through a Native American's eyes when I'm doing research because so much of what was written about the little exactly. big one was just a bunch of smoke and mirrors to sell books I'm not knocking anybody by any means here but some of it you, when you get into it and, and you, you see you try to look at it from a Native American's perspective 
you, you see how really kind of silly, right. and there's no way that could have happened. Well, history is always written by the victors, and, and rare is the time that you find out what really happened. Well, you know, <laughs> I, I, my heritage is Basque, uh, Cherokee, and Poetan, and so I've always had this curiosity about a heritage that I really no, don't know. And it's like you say, it's its story is not told. One of the I came across uh, a uh, oh what what was his name? Uh, oh, oh darn yep. it! Anyway, forget I'll forget I'll, I'll remember. <laughs> Ten that o'clock tonight, show. he'll remember I'll and then remember. he'll call me. <laughs> but I, you know, there's a there's another name I want to throw at you because I'd like to meet this guy, Dan Bridges. Dan Bridges, yes, yes. Um, so Dan Bridges did seven tours of combat duty for the United States Marine Corps for our country okay Mm -hmm. and uh, just a tremendous tremendous human being Uh, a friend of mine he and I I first met him years ago when we both worked for the Boys and Girls Clubs of West Central Missouri and you would never know that this guy was a hardened uh, combat veteran (laughs) but uh he is doing great things for people in this community. He's helping people that have had some addiction problems battle their addictions through physical physical exercise. So, um, yeah, you, you you would be uh, you'd be you'd be well worth your time to meet him. Yeah, you sound fascinating. In the waning moments that we have left, uh, where can the book be found, Lance? Shameless promotion sure. here. Thank you. Amazon.com under Lance J. Doral. Yeah. Well, you know, before before, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, because let's let's promote a little bit more here. Yeah, you got a website? Yes, I do. LanceJDoral.com. It'll it'll take you there, and I've got all kinds of photos posted. Cool. If you scroll down to the bottom left, they're they're through Facebook and Instagram for my travels. I'll start putting more on there. Um, Some great got, photos uh, there. Talking talking about the new book that I'll be working on right now. It's going to be a historically accurate account of all my information that I've gathered from the Native Americans that still live around the battlefield mm-hmm. and the ongoing research that I've discovered why doing that. When that, we're talking, uh, when that one is ready, uh, we definitely want to have you back on the show. We unfortunately well, are out of time. One last thing. Very quickly. Very quickly. Uh, Lance... I want you to give Freddie Joe a dog biscuit and a pat on the head for me, will you? I, I will. He, he, he's, he's right here with me in my office right now. <laughs> awesome. Uh, they always help with interviews. You know, my cats do the same thing, and when my dog was with me, he did the same thing as well. Lance J. Doral, thank you so much. The book, a Dance, a Dance with Death, An Irish Soldier of Fortune at the Little Bighorn. Very good book recommend highly that you pick it up at your favorite book place or at amazon.com thanks five guidons there you go thanks for uh thanks for listening uh this afternoon or whatever time it happens to be when you're listening to this and we will be back next time on amal franzi's voices of the west so long adios
Thanks for listening to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West.